Hey friends, Rachel here. Hey, we hope you are enjoying the She Reads Truth podcast as much as we are. I want to remind you to give us a five-star rating if you haven't already and leave a review if you can. That kind of stuff means the world to us and it helps more she's find our podcast from all around the world. Y'all, we are so grateful that you are a part of the She Reads Truth community. Okay, back to the show. Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And this is the second week in our Mark series. And we are joined by our dear friend and beloved to many of you, Miss Lisa Harper. Lisa is a Bible teacher. She is Missy's mama. She has a new devotional out that is super fun and cute. And super it, pretty. It's that's right. bright pink. Pretty is a better word than cute. It's bright <laughs> pink with gold foil. What more could you ask for? It's called Life. We love talking with Lisa about scripture in general, but to have Lisa here to talk about Mark is especially a privilege because she loves the book of Mark. It's one of her favorites. It's her favorite gospel, and we just had a ton to learn from her, and we really enjoyed our conversation with Lisa. So let's get right to it. Lisa, I love it when you're here. I grin so much when I'm with y'all. I feel like my cheeks start to cramp. It feels like I love y'all so much. It feels like the whole office just like is more alive when well, you're I here. Well, I just even it driving is, yeah. up, I rammed over these two big snow piles in the front because I was so excited I couldn't even search for a parking space because I was like, I'm I don't know, almost home. We're almost home. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I think that like I've just been looking forward to it. You guys have been sending dancing people emojis to each other this morning. <laughs> I loved our day. I yeah. think we should dance. Maybe. We, pro- we probably will. Because the day is it young. isn't video, since this is audio, I can dance and people <laughs> yeah. won't be scarred in okay. this format. Yeah. We'll do that. We'll have a dance party. <laughs> also, what always happens when Lisa comes is that time gets away from us so much that Lisa's probably already been here for an hour and we've been talking for an hour and I was like, oh, no, no, no. Probably was to. a nice way yeah, to put that. We need to <laughs> record. We should probably also record a podcast. Yes, well, let's do that. Here. But we're here for the book of Mark, Lisa, which I know in 2016, you released a Bible study on the book of Mark, but that feels only somewhat relevant because since 2016, you just continue to be a student of the word. Like mm-hmm. that wasn't the last time you looked at the book of Mark. No. Um, and no. so I love this book and I'm just excited to get to talk about it. Now, you mentioned right before we hit record, Lisa, that the significance of Mark being the first gospel. Will you talk yeah. to us about that? Yeah. Authorship is so huge. You know, I did a Bible study on Mark because it was the only one that hadn't been covered by Beth Moore when I was writing for Lifeway. <laughs> oh, really? And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to touch any other ones. So I did. <laughs> Mark, but it was really my last choice. Mark, until I studied it in depth, was no my least favorite. It's the shortest. There's no birth account. Okay, yeah. It's kind of mm-hmm. just the facts, ma'am. And I like John. You know, he's like the warm, oh, fuzzy therapist John, yeah. gospel and mm-hmm. love. And I love Luke's. And so Mark was, I was just like, mm, I'm not really, Mark's not my favorite of the four. Fourth draft pick. Yes, okay. exactly. Yeah. But then I started studying Mark. I fell in love yeah. with this gospel. What's so significant, not simply that it's the first gospel when they canonized scripture, of course, they listed Matt as first, but Mark was the first written. It's what's so significant is that it was narrated by Peter. So Mark, you know, held the pen, was typing on the iPad metaphorically, but Peter is the informant. He's the storyteller. He's the storyteller. And so you go, okay, let's stop and think for a minute Pete has this massive betrayal in his bio. He's the one who threw Jesus under the bus. Most people don't realize Mark did too. Right there at the Garden of Gethsemane in Mark 14, I think it's verse 52, talks about the one who dropped his robe. That's right, yes. So basically he ran away buck naked. So Pete at least has the presence of mind to betray him while fully clothed. But Mark is the one who betrayed Jesus and was so afraid at the edge of the Garden of Gethsemane that he'd get caught up and all that brouhaha and get busted that he runs away back naked. Which makes me think of that scene in It's a Wonderful Life where Mary's robe gets caught yes. and she's like in the bushes. Yes. Like, oh. Yeah. I mean, it's almost the exact same yeah. thing. And then Almost the exact same thing. <laughs> if you study really, really close, really, really close, if you study his early years, you know, his mom, Mark's mother, had a home church. You read yes. about that in Acts chapter 12. So you stop and think he's sitting on the stairs, you know, doing his algebra homework while the disciples are in the living room having early church. So he's heard all that, which mm-hmm. is probably why okay, yeah. he's the youngest member of the very first mission trip. 
So read about that in Acts. Mark goes on it. But you remember what happens? Remember Paul and, well, Paul wants to extend that first mission trip because it was just the bomb. People are getting saved. People are getting healed. And Mark's the one who goes, I want to go home. You know, my iPad battery isn't charging anymore. I want to go home. Taking the tiniest bit of liberty with Greek. But (laughs) Mark is the reason that they didn't extend it. So for the second, only the second ever mission trip, remember that Barnabas comes to Paul and he says, I've been discipling. You know, Mark, he was John yeah. Mark when he was little, had double yeah. names like in the South, and he got older and said, just call me Mark. Just call me Mark. It's fine. But he <laughs> said, you know, I think he's really maturing in his faith. Can we give him another shot? Can we take right. him a second mission trip? And it says there arose such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. They yeah. were like the gospel beetles over the issue. Does that make John, John Mark, Mark Yoko? Yoko Ono. That's exactly where I was going. (laughs) He split up the gospel beetles. So you go, okay, these two guys would not, with human logic, be the ones anyone would choose to write the very first euangelion, on the gospel, the good news. But Mm. God in his kindness says, I'm going to choose the two who've totally blown it to be my first emissaries. They're going to compile the first written account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. So that, to me, I think, especially since I'm prone to wander and Mm. mistake-prone, I love that God didn't choose the best of them to write the first gospel account, but he chose these two guys that you just got to know other people kind of cocked an eyebrow like, really? Are you sure? You don't want to use somebody with a little cleaner past? And so I think that's hugely significant. Yeah, and I think that's why from the very beginning, you've just got all these stories that are riddled with compassion because those men knew what it was like to be yeah. desperate for compassion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I fell in love with this gospel four years ago, and it to this day, it's my favorite gospel. I think it's mine, too. We discovered last week with Lauren that it was a silly thing to think that we could, like, make our way through all of the reading for the week mm-hmm. and, like, every single story because, I mean, uniquely, yeah. Mark jam-packs. It may be, oh, yeah. like, the shortest gospel, but it is... Oh, it is just, like, action-packed. Bam, 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 and don't bam, bam, you bam, love bam. you get Pete's personality? Yeah. Because, you know, he was... That's why I identify with Peter. You know, he was quick to speak before he thought. And you get that temperature in Mark. It's the most action-packed gospel. Mm-hmm. And he's always mm-hmm. like, Jesus went to hurry. Jesus went immediately. So it's like the caffeinated right. gospel. Yeah, there's, the there's no boring gospel. in Mark. Yes. Yeah. That's it. I love it. And I love that we start at the title for day eight, which is today's reading day is Jesus does everything well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we don't have to go day by day here, but Lisa, I would love to hear, like, where do you want to start in this conversation? Do well, you have... let's let's go with day eight. Great. I yes. loved day eight. Yes. I thought day eight was the bomb. I... And I love that I'd never really thought of that phrase. Of course he's perfect. He's right. God incarnate. But I'd never heard just those semantics, uh-huh. Jesus does everything well. And there's something so warm it about is. the way yeah. that yeah. was phrased well, in, in yeah, the Bible study. Yeah. One thing from there, like, I think it would be cool because a lot of people skip over the Syrophoenician woman in Mark chapter 7 because it almost looks like Jesus is being terse It makes people uncomfortable. It makes people uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable. It makes it almost seems it smacks of misogyny, and it's not at all. Not at all. If you get the original Greek, the original context, it actually shows, I think— Almost this warm, humorous side of Jesus. There's a wink. He's got a wink to it. Yeah, yeah, he does. But a lot of people. So that'd be a cool place to Let's read. Let's do it. Will you read that passage where you, for us? Where is she? It's verse 24. Okay, uh-huh. through 30. Okay, this is Mark chapter 7, verse 24. And from there, he, Mark's talking about Jesus, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. Have y'all talked about the Messianic secret yet? We haven't used the phrase Messianic secret yet, but I want to. We're going to go there. We've got to go there too. Mm -hmm. Verse 25, but immediately, there's that fast word, caffeinated word. A woman, his little daughter, was possessed by an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile. That just means a non-Jew in the original Greek. A Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. That's what we've got to come back for, because that kind of sounds like, oh, yikes, was Jesus being mean. Mm -hmm. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Mm -hmm. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. 
Um, so many thoughts. Oh, you will start with them because I was going to go straight into Bible teacher mode. But Because I think a lot of people, this is one of those passages we're tempted to go, let's put that in the closet because I'm not real sure that just looks a little sketchy. And it's almost the exact opposite mm-hmm. of the way it reads in the black, white, and red. It's yeah. almost the exact right. opposite. We studied this passage recently in our small group, and we also looked at the Matthew account. Mm -hmm. And in the Matthew account, she addresses Jesus with a messianic title. So like, I don't remember if it's son of God or something. A lot of people say it was basically a statement of faith. She was acknowledging that he was Adonai, the anointed one, the Christ. This woman is, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Rahab, you know, like I'm a Gentile by birth, and yet I know who you are. I believe who you are, and I believe what you can do. So like that little statement from her. And of course, like we have this theme of unclean spirits right. in Mark. And I want to talk about the messianic secret. Yeah. I have just so many things. But I just think about this is the only account that I've seen in Mark that's like a remote exorcism. Like right. where every other right. time there's a person here and he casts, he talks to the demon or casts right. the demon out. But in this case, it's that like, go home, it's your like daughter is healed. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's Situation. Cool. Talk well, to us, and, Well, to back up even more, I think probably some, especially women listening, might have winced at the, sounds like he's calling this woman a dog, yeah, which certainly seems derogatory yeah. at first read. Until you go into the original Greek. Mm-hmm. And the original Greek there, I failed. I was horrible at French in college. And I know I've skipped from <laughs> Greek to French, but stay with me for just a second. One of the only phrases I remember is petite. I think it was petite chien. Little dog. Little dog. Petite yeah. chien, yes. That's the word here in the Greek. Yes. The term he uses for dog that's just translated dog and sounds derogatory in English is actually a pet dog that you, a lap dog that you would hold in your lap, kind of Paris Hilton's dog and carry him around in a purse. <laughs> it's a real affectionate term yeah. for a dog that you would give, not an outside dog that you're going to have on a leash. I mean, this is like a dog that's almost a family member. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like he's winking at her. What he's saying is, first, I'm sharing the hope of glory with the Jewish nation. That's my calling is first with the Jews. And then it's coming to the Gentiles, and with her going, but I'll take even the least. I'll take it's even like the he crumbs. winks at her yeah. and is like, oh, you're going to be fed. It's a little bit of a delay. Mm-hmm. It's not a denial. And there's just this almost an implied wink. Like he's yeah. not looking at her down his nose. He's looking at her with a grin. Yeah. And she, because of their repartee, it's obvious that she doesn't feel subjugated. So you, I think right. that's important to recognize. It comes across in English as derogatory, possibly even disrespectful. Some would say misogynistic. Not at all. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. this warm conversation, the fact that he would even have a conversation right. with a non-Jewish woman shows how kind and how accessible he was because according to Torah, he's not supposed to be talking yeah. about theology with a woman, much less a woman who's not Jewish. Yeah. So I think it's important to frame that, that Jesus is not talking down yeah. to this woman. If but anything, I feel like he respects her. Like he He's does. like, oh, wow. He like, does. Not yeah. only do you understand yeah. why I can't, like you understood possibly better than my disciples right. also right. understand. I mean, it's really, he gives her a thumbs yeah. up at some, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, at some level. So, And I remember that I am a Gentile, you yeah. know, that I remember yeah. that like he came for me second as right. well. Mm-hmm. And I'm so Oh, thankful he came for right. me. And I will take right. the crumbs. And yet, instead of the crumbs, I get the bread of life. Right. Well, and we think just our human mind, the finitude of the human mind, we can't possibly comprehend the compassion of God because we think linear. We even mm-hmm. think first, second. God is, yeah, that's I'm good. going that's to redeem good. my people. Yeah. So we're not second best. That's good. The chronology of God is very different than, you know, it's not a hierarchy of first best and second best. It's this is my plan. Mm -hmm. And if you're putting your kids to bed at night, whoever you put to bed first isn't the child you love the most. That's just your, (laughs) that's just the way you get them all to bed. Sometimes. Well, well, (laughs) I know. One of the boys one time was like, why do you always tuck him in first? I was like, first of all, I don't. And secondly, what? Right. (laughs) Right. But I think sometimes that's how we understand the love of Father God. It's like, well, (laughs) why'd you go there first? And it's like, I've got you. It's good. This doesn't make you second best, but it's hard for us with our human minds to understand when he says, I'm coming for you, Mm -hmm. to not go. So they're not as important. It's like, no, the plan of God was always to redeem all all of mankind. You know, the Jews being a theocracy 
was also a template for this is the kind of covenant relationship I want with all my people, yeah. all Imago Day. So yeah. anyway, I think it was and important then the there. The sweetness but, of this being so private, yeah. like I flippantly like was just like, there's a remote exorcism. Yeah. But to be in a public space, yeah. you know, for her to bring her little girl mm-hmm. who is overcome by a demon, right. you know, into a public space. Right. That's very difficult. And who oh, knows yeah. how long that has happened, how long yeah. that has gone on. She's going to fight like crazy for her right. little girl, but she's also going to protect her. Right. And the way that Jesus honors that sort of perhaps desire for privacy, right. he honors that. And he's so well, and, sweet about and it. he honors women. We forget the yeah. context. This is a time period in history where women are chattel. They can be owned. Yeah. A daughter is considered disposable. Yeah. That's why a lot of times the Christians in the first century got in trouble was they would pick up little girls on the side of the road who had been purposely orphaned, destined for temple prostitution. The Christians are like, no, I'll adopt that little girl. Mm-hmm. So you think of the cultural subjugation of both this yeah. woman and this daughter, and Jesus heals her daughter in absentia. I mean, the, yeah. the He doesn't the say, let's march the crowd that, over there right, so they can right. see what I can do. Oh, it's so mm-hmm. kind. So yeah. kind. And well, then the, kind. Oh, go ahead, Amanda. Well, and that leads us to the Messianic secret, which we want yeah. to talk about. Yeah. And this goes right into verse 31, where we see kind of that like secrecy element happening right. again. Right. So this is verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, they went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus. I've noticed how many times it's mm-hmm. people begged mm-hmm. Jesus to mm-hmm. heal. Yeah. Begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. This verse, I want to come back to this verse. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply mm. and said to him, say it for me, Lisa. <laughs> a fafritha. <laughs> That's it. There was not an R. I put an R in there. Anyway, but it's very close, very close. That is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, Mm -hmm. but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. Um, And this is where we get the verse. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything Mm -hmm. well. He -hmm. makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And so that, that happens more than once where... You know, someone appeals to him for healing or for healing on behalf of someone else, and he pulls the person aside right. and does the healing. And very often in the gospel says, shh, don't, don't tell. tell. Don't tell. Yeah. yeah. Talk to us about that. Um, well, there's not a perfect theological consensus on that. Mm-hmm. There are certainly people who disagree, but most conservative scholars who believe in the authority of Scripture say the reason for the Messianic secret, and it's pretty simple, is his time hadn't come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for him to operate freely and heal more and share the living hope of the gospel with more people, mm-hmm. he had to operate at some point in secret because of the Roman government, because of the Pharisees that were already out to kill him. And so it wasn't that there was no shame involved. Mm-hmm. It was almost a strategic mercy. Mm-hmm. It was, my time hasn't come. It's not yeah. time for the cross yet. And there's still more people in my incarnate ministry that I'm called mm-hmm. to look in their eyes. I mean, that's the thing about this deaf guy. Jesus could have just spoken healing into mm-hmm. existence. Sure, yeah. You see it in the mm-hmm. remote exorcism. I love that more often than not, and Mark shows it more him. than any of the other gospels, mm-hmm. he touches him. He, touches he uses him. his hands to heal. You know, Even at the beginning of Mark with the leper, I'm sure y'all have covered this. It's one of my favorite stories. Did we cover because, the leper last week? I don't think. Well, oh, we, my heavens. Oh, no, we all we, read him, but we didn't talk about uh, it yeah, on the podcast. Yeah. It's one of the greatest Let's healing stories. Oh, yeah, talk about it. It's Mark, I think it's one, I think 40 through 42. Let's go to it. But, you know, the leper, it's a short story, and golly, this one is a jewel. Yeah. And a leper, well, y'all read it from that, because I'm reading from the ESV, so it varies a tad from the study guide. So he went into all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, Mm -hmm. if you are willing you can make me clean. Mm-hmm. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, mm-hmm. but go and show yourself to the priest. That story has become one mm-hmm. of my favorite of all the healing stories. Yeah. 
Because if you understand Jewish culture, first of all, leprosy is the oldest known disease in biblical history. And it was, y'all know, it was a horrifically disfiguring Mm -hmm. disease. And then according to ceremonial law, to Mosaic law, if you have leprosy, you're completely, you talk about quarantine, you are ostracized from Mm -hmm. society. Can't be touched. Anytime you walk out in public, you have to cry out unclean. You can't tend to your hair. Your hair has to be untended. You have to wear rags. I mean, it is shaming, disfiguring Mm -hmm. in every way, socially and physically. And so this guy is outside the city wall. Jesus is coming into the city. He's not allowed in the city, the leper. So he's outside the city Mm -hmm. wall begging for alms. He sees Jesus, and first of all, he calls Jesus Lord. Yeah. This is Lord, if you're willing. So it's a profession of faith. Yes. He recognizes you are the Christ, you are Adonai, you're the Messiah that we've been longing for for centuries. More than I just believe, believe he repent. I repent believe, and believe you're yeah. the Son of God. And he says, if you were willing, in other words, because I believe you are God himself, I know you have the power to heal him, but you not, might not want to, because I'm filthy. I'm disfigured, I'm shamed, I'm ostracized. And what's so profound here, it always just slays me. And I have some personal stuff here, my own life from shame and some of the stuff Missy experienced in Haiti. Jesus, when it says moved, you said moved with compassion. Some translations say moved with pity. Some say he was made indignant Mm -hmm. by the man's plight. All of those phrases in English come from one word in the Greek. It's splognizomai. Splogna is the root word for spleen. It means from the gut Mm. of Jesus. So it's not a, oh, bummer, dude needs a good dermatologist. Mm -hmm. It's from the very core, Jesus is moved by the man's pain. And then it says, he touches the man. Okay, stop and think. I don't have to touch you. still disgusting. He's still filthy. He's still ostracized. Jesus holds him. He could say, touch the hem of my garment. Jesus holds him, and then he heals them. The chronology is of his compassion, because most of us would go kind of Shazam, be healed right. from a distance, because leprosy was highly mm-hmm. contagious while he's still mm-hmm. filthy. Jesus doesn't clean him up and then hug him. While he's still filthy, Jesus holds him, and then he heals the man's leprosy. Yeah. So I don't think we would ever again believe that our Savior is dispassionate with our pain if we could get yeah. how he steps right in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. He doesn't clean him up first. Yeah. Can you imagine that man who's That's like, so he probably good. hadn't been touched by a well hand in years. Yeah. He's not allowed mm-hmm. to right. go to Starbucks to sit across from him. I mean, he has been ostracized. His family can't touch him. And Jesus holds him. And he knows it's God himself. He calls Mm -hmm. him Lord. Jesus holds him, and then he heals his body. The compassion there that trampled propriety. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just stunning. Yeah. Do you think we went back? Yeah, I love splognizomai is a word that Mark uses. Okay, yeah. And he's kind of unique in that. I can't remember. I want to say maybe Luke uses it too. But that from the guts of God. I was actually bummed that this story fell in week one. And then week two, as I was prepping for this conversation, I noticed in, I'm going to say it's day 10, which is chapter nine. There's a similar story, but some very key words are changed. But before we get to the one that I'm really excited to go to because it feels really related. We have to back up and start with the transfiguration. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you backed up the transfiguration. Y'all, this changed the trajectory of my ministry. I really? mean, this one Ooh, story. Tell us how. Well, that may be a little bit hyperbolic, but it's close. It has always bugged the fire out of me that Moses didn't make it in the promised land. Oh, right. Just yeah. bugged the fire out of me. It's like, poor yeah. guy. You know, I mean, he was such a good guy, except for the murder rap. And he was so (laughs) faithful following those ingrates, leading them in the wilderness. And then, you know, he gets to the edge of the wilderness. He can see Canaan. He can see the promised land. And y'all remember he whacks the rock and God says, you're not going to set the promised land. And for that reason. Golly, Jeepers, that seems, I know his ways are above ours, but it seems so punitive yeah. after he's been so faithful and those people were so, I mean, it was like herding mm-hmm. cats. It was hard to lead them. And that always has bugged me. And one day, it was probably 15 years ago, I was in a coffee shop and I don't remember what I was studying, but I was reading Mark 9 as just a parallel passage. And you know how, here's this, to me, the stunning thing about She Reads Truth is you recognize this isn't flat text. That's right. It's yeah. supernatural. We're always getting something different out mm-hmm. of God's Word. It's like holding a diamond up mm-hmm. to the light. I read Transfiguration. I may have heard that since I was in utero. Mm-hmm. That's one of those mm-hmm. New Testament passages we've all heard. Jesus goes up the mountain. He's, you know, 
turns luminescent. It's incredible. They're up on a high mountain, Peter, James, and John. For the first time, I went, oh, Moses. Mm-hmm. Moses is there with him. Well, the Mount of Transfiguration, most New Testament scholars think it was either Mount Hermon or an adjacent mountain. Y'all have been to Israel. That's smack dab in the middle of the Promised Land. It's the most scenic viewpoint. Other than Mount Scopus, you can see the entire Sea of Galilee. There stands Moses. Next to a glorified Jesus centuries after he had died a natural death. And so you go, goodness gracious, I get so deluded into thinking God works in time and space as we know it. If you could go back to Mo and say, okay, Moses, would you rather lead the Israelites into Canaan in your sweaty jar clay body or door number two, would you rather trust the sovereignty of God? that his plans for us are infinitely better than our greatest dreams. And the first time Mm -hmm. you get to set foot in the promised land, you get to stand next to Jesus, next to God incarnate, and he'll be glowing, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you'll be able to see the whole land. You know, he'd go, well, of course, door number two, it's just we see so narrowly. I thought I knew what I wanted. Yeah, and oh my goodness, it's so much better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I love that part. It's hard to have patience for the so much it better. It is. It's hard to have patience. You know, I used to think Peter, when Peter says, oh my goodness, can we go to REI and get tents and stay up here? Uh-huh. Like, oh. Let's set up tents. Yeah, yeah. Peter's so, on, Peter. so impetuous. Yeah. <laughs> but then right after that, Peter goes, he's scared. And you've got to connect this all the way back to Exodus when God says, I'm going to come down in a cloud. But, y'all, when I come down in a cloud, it's going to be all my dwelling glory, all my Shekinah. And so you've got to – it's an MC Hammer moment. you got to set up fences and keep the people <laughs> back because they won't be able to mm-hmm. – if they see me, it's going to fry them into grease spots of oblivion. Here we are, exact same scenario. Mm-hmm. They're on a mountain. Yeah. The voice of God comes from a cloud. Yep. Peter's a good Jewish boy. Of course, he's like, oh, yikers, I've read about this. We are all about to be busted because God's coming down in a cloud. We can hear his voice. This is too holy. And here's new covenant. God's voice comes out of the cloud, and he says, look at my son. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say back up because my glory will blow your hard mm-hmm. drive like he did yeah. in Exodus. He says, come closer. Look into the countenance mm-hmm. of the Savior I sent for you. He loves you so much. And so that... Everything about the transfiguration, it's stunning in the way you see God's accessibility. Then on the heels of that, because it's just human life. Every time we have a pinnacle, you better know a valley's coming. You know, that's just just human life. It's emotional topography. They come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and that's where we get to the story you love. They've seen glory. Mm -hmm. They come down, and who's fussing? It's the religious people. They're fussing. They totally miss it. The disciples are fussing. Mm -hmm. And then you've got this man. So talk about the difference, because I do love the juxtaposition of what this father of a sick child says to him versus what the leper says in Mark 1. So here we have in, you know, kind of verse 14 and down, I'll summarize a little bit so we're not taking quite so much time. But what happens is, like, they come down, the whole crowd sees him, they're amazed, you know. And then someone from the crowd says, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that made him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. And then he goes on to say, I think later on, like, it's been so bad that he'll, like, roll into the ground, into the fire. Like, right. it'll throw him right. into the fire. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And the father answers, from childhood. And many times, here it is, it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But... Mm-hmm. If you can do anything, mm-hmm. have compassion on us mm-hmm. and help us. Mm-hmm. And here, I mean, that's the difference from what we just read yeah. to now in chapter one to now. And Jesus responds, if you can, question mm-hmm. mark, mm-hmm. everything is possible for the mm-hmm. one who believes. And immediately the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Yeah. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. When I think of that, and Amanda, you could speak to this better than anybody, you notice the mama isn't there. Mm-hmm. And so my gut says the daddy is so anguished mm-hmm. when he says, we've almost lost our boy. Mm-hmm. We've almost lost our son. He also calls him Lord. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I believe you are the Christ, 
but I'm dying today. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. really struggling today. I can't see around the corner. I'm scared to death yeah. that our sons, we're going to lose our son. His mama can't even get out of bed. She said, I mean, you go, mm-hmm. that situation is so dire. He's so anguished, mm-hmm. and he's the only honest one in the story. Mm-hmm. He's the only one <laughs> honest enough to go, I do believe. I can't make it by myself. Yeah, I believe. So a lot of times he's vilified as saying, I don't believe big enough. He's a hero to me to go, I believe. I'm still but coming I'm so to Jesus. I'm so stinking human. Yeah. I'm so stinking human that today I don't have a she reads truth kind of faith. Well, it's you know, a, today I'm struggling. It's an honest so confession. Honest. Of every I, one of of our condition. absolutely, there's going to be seasons that your faith, uh-huh. your faith is frail, and he says that Tim Keller. I know y'all love Tim Keller too. When I was studying this, Tim Keller said something so profound about the story. He said, "Holiness is not the first step to accessing intimacy with God. Helplessness is." That's yeah. right. And he said, based on yeah. this passage, he said, helplessness, the cognizance that we And that's we the same as from chapter Jesus. one. Absolutely. They're both. So that's where yeah. that verbiage is different. But basically, they're both going, I can't mm-hmm. heal myself. And again, you go back to authorship. Mark and Pete knew, basically, of our own volition, we are up a creek without a paddle. We need Jesus. Yeah. We yeah. need his forgiveness. We need his compassion. And so that's what you see yeah. all throughout the stories. You see that necessity of neediness of coming before the Lord. I also love the timing in this story because you know it says Jesus speaks and it says, He says, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you never come out of him again. Verse 26. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Yeah. And you stop and think, because I think I've been to conferences like this where people are like, there you go, there you go. They got all nutty about Jesus. And I mean, they should have just like saved some, should have been some in (laughs) reserve. Maybe they should have used some peppermint oil. I mean, y'all are nuts. You shouldn't give it all away because at first it looks like the boy's gone from bad to worse. Mm. First, it looks like, okay, he had epilepsy and he's got some scars, but now your boy's dead. Mm -hmm. And the daddy doesn't equivocate there. And so, of course, Mark doesn't say this, but in my imagination, you've got this father who is so preoccupied with the compassion of Christ that he doesn't go, well, golly jeepers, I thought you were going to heal him, and now you made him worse. I think my boy's dead. He doesn't equivocate, and we don't know how much time passed between that verse and when it says, then Jesus took him up by the hand. Could have been a minute. Could have been 10 minutes. And you've got this peanut gallery going, oh, well, he's dead now. He's dead now. A lot of good that did you, pouring your heart out to Jesus. Everybody's like, uh, and it's that in-between of it looks like it got worse because, you know, our culture says run to the altar, tell Jesus you're going to change your life, then everything will get better. You'll get tight yeah. skin, high metabolism. Everything's going to be hunky-dory. If you pray hard enough for Toby, boom, he's going to be out of hospital yeah. the next day. Mm-hmm. It's that in-between, yeah. mm-hmm. I think, where we really experience the deep compassion of Christ when we go, I can't fix this. I can't redeem this. I'm going to stay right here in the presence of Jesus and then he raises the boy up by the hand. And even the disciples go, how did you do that? Yeah. And he goes, y'all forgot that the power comes from me. You forgot to pray. Yeah. You can't do anything apart from me. He's so kind yeah. in his, you know, it's only him who can bring healing, healing and forgiveness. But he's so kind in it. He's yeah. so generous with it. It's just, I think it's really hard for us to say, I can't do it by myself. Yeah. So what about for like our friends who are listening who maybe have read the story before or are hearing this for the first time and they yeah. hear this line from yeah. Jesus yeah. and they hear Jesus say, if you can, right. Right. everything is possible for right. the one who believes. So for somebody who's hearing that and going like, but wait a minute. I didn't get my miracle, right? Right, right. Which ties really, I think, pretty directly to the conversation we just had about Moses. Absolutely. Well, I was going to that's absolutely it. You yeah. should go yeah. there because I thought they're bookends. Yeah, I think that's why Mark and Peter, who's narrating, give us these stories together in order because I think the context of Moses did not get what he wanted in his natural life, mm-hmm. and now look at the intimacy between Moses and Elijah mm-hmm. and Jesus. And so I think it gives you this kind of wider view of I might not get it here Mm -hmm. in the way I wanted it, but we will get a miracle. And I think at some level, you know, you know how Paul says we see through the glass dimly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. I think at some level when you wait, 
that glass, the blur, mm-hmm. kind of gets a little clear. All those mm. days and hours you spent waiting, hoping God would, you know, Toby would get out of the hospital. Yeah. And you go, man, the presence of God in my desperate, I can't fix this, the presence mm-hmm. of God that carried us, it gives you a framework for needing God, for understanding God, for believing God that's bigger than time and space. Yeah. And so I think we want too little. I think we settle for yeah. too little when we go, if I could just get it my way, this way, in this time frame. If you really believe God is good mm. and you really believe he's always been in the process of redeeming us, of restoring us, of mitigating evil, then you go— Redemption is his specialty. It is, and it's Mm -hmm. always been about redemption. It's always been about restoring us into a right relationship with him. Then we have to be people who believe, even when I can't see around the corner or I'm stuck or I'm in a valley, I don't know how he's going to do it, but what he has for my life is good. Mm -hmm. And so there is not a false optimism but that's there right. is a living hope Yeah, if good. you know Jesus that you go, yeah, this may be really cruddy. I mean, I don't know too many people who would say, man, 2020 is my favorite year ever. Right. There was a lot of loss, livelihood, lives. You can't say, I love walking in the dark, but you can say, my God is a light yeah. and I'm going to keep walking and I'm going to keep looking to him because yeah. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know when he's going to do it. But he is a redeemer. Yeah. A lot of times we don't know how to ask for more than door number right. one or right. or we don't right. want anything but right. door uh, yeah. number one. Because we're comfortable with door yeah. number one. Or we, yeah. we just don't know what else to ask for. Yeah. But And like I said, when we were talking about Moses, it takes a lot of patience. Yeah. Well, and potentially a life of patience. I love how Eugene Peterson, you know, he likens obedience to a long walk in the same direction. That's right. Yeah. And I haven't learned that yet. I am 57 years old. So, you know, most of my pants don't have zippers. I've been walking with Jesus <laughs> Since I was five years old, and I'm still in the process of learning to trust him, to trust him with everything. So that's why I identify with this daddy, and there have been seasons when my own daughter was sick, and my faith was weak because I thought, Jesus, you you know, I've done the bargaining with God. Things I know better, things I have taught against, Mm. but when it comes to my own child's health, I identify with this dad going, okay, I believe, but you got to help me in the places that my heart is weak right now. Well, that's yeah. just the Christian life. Yeah. And I think unless we're just not being honest with ourselves, that mm-hmm. is the Christian life. I believe. Help my unbelief. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, friends. We want to take a minute to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of inspiring classes for creative and curious people. Explore new skills, deepen existing passions, and get lost in creativity. As a member, you'll get unlimited access to thousands of inspiring classes with hands-on projects and feedback from a community of creatives worldwide. So whether you're looking to explore something new or to deepen your understanding of a current skill set, Skillshare offers creative classes designed for real life and all the circumstances that come with it. Break up your routine with spontaneous acts of creativity. You'll be surprised what interests you and what you're capable of. Skillshare offers classes on everything from how to find your style to how to make the perfect grilled cheese. I am personally looking forward to Emily Henderson's class, Style Your Space, Creative Tips and Techniques for Interior Design. Explore your creativity at Skillshare.com slash SheReadsTruth. And the first 1,000 people to use our link will get a free trial of Skillshare's premium membership. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash SheReadsTruth. Building community and bringing life. That's what our friends at Apartment Life are doing these days. They partner with local apartment communities and move into the neighborhood to tangibly love people the way Jesus does. They're looking for coordinators to join their program right now. Do you think this might be for you? If you love people, have a heart for being with neighbors when life gets hard or exciting, and love planning a good party, this life-giving program is for you. Apartment Life will equip you and walk alongside you every step of the way, even down to providing a reduced rent apartment if you opt to live on-site in one of their communities. They also have an off-site version of the program that looks similar. It can truly be a life-changing experience for neighbors and coordinators alike. And just for you, our She Reads Truth listeners, they're giving you 10% off in their Apartment Life swag shop. Head over to apartmentlife.org slash shereadstruth 
to apply and to receive your discount, be sure to ask for more information about how you can be a part of this unique ministry. That's apartmentlife.org slash she reads truth. Okay, back to the show. Lisa, I love it when you talk about Blind Bart. I love that you nickname all of your favorite Bible characters. It really is one of our favorite things. It's a highlight for me. Also that you have delightful asides about just about everybody. Uh, Like I love that you're mm -hmm. like Moses and his rap sheet. (laughs) We forget that they're real people. Yeah. Yeah. We make this book a kind of this, you know, a textbook instead of a love story. And I love that they're real people. We'll get to meet Bartimaeus. We'll get to meet the Syrophoenician woman in glory. I can't wait to meet him. Just making a list of all the people I want to get to meet. Yeah, I do. Yeah, 10 to me, chapter 10, is it's this hinge. It's a pivotal point in Mark's gospel because prior to chapter 10, you've got a lot of theologians call it the compassion of the Christ. That's where you see the splagnitzomai, the gut-level healings. That's where you see the messianic secret, Mm -hmm. him saying, don't tell, shh, don't tell anybody yet. And then there's this very marked turn, and a lot of theologians call from 10 on the passion of the Christ, because that's where he turns from all this interpersonal mm-hmm. relationships and healing. That's where he sets his sights on Easter. Yeah. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. what precedes Holy Week, and he goes through Jericho. And what's so cool to me about the story with blind Bartimaeus is right before they go into Jericho, you get, if ever you want to say, what's the... Mission statement of Jesus, as trite as that sounds, he says, for even the Son of Man, verse 45, Mm -hmm. for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to lay down his life as a ransom for many. I mean, if you want to do a year, as she reads truth, on servant leadership, it's right there. Mm -hmm. I came to die. I came to die because you matter so much to me. Well, right Which after is crazy coming off of last week where they're in this ship yeah. and they're sinking yes. and say, don't you even care right. that we're dying? Right. I know. I mean, we just miss it. We yeah. are so, just so stinking human. Yes. And he says, you know, I, I came to late in my life. They go through Jericho. Stop and think if you knew you were facing your own murder. Right. Mm-hmm. He knows exactly what Passion Week entails. He is omniscient. He knows exactly what's around the corner. They have this last pit stop. And it's in not coming for him. He's going to it. He's going to it. That's right. He's laying he's, down his life. His just passion. like you read. He's going to it. He's very yeah. purposeful. He's got this last pit stop. If I knew I was facing my own bogus trial, abuse, yeah. horrific beating, shame, shame, all the indignity that we have with the crucifixion. And the betrayal of those closest to him. He is completely bereft of companionship. Nobody's dropping off chicken soup. You'd think (laughs) right before that, I mean, if that was me, and I know that's radical, but if I'm facing something really hard, baby, I'm getting a massage and carbs. I'm like, (laughs) I'm going to have chips and queso. I mean, I'd want to kind of— It's like a last meal situation. Yes. You want to have a little me time. And instead, what's so stunning is right as he's turning to the cross— you know, he's passing through this town. They have a parade, not because they believe that he's the Christ, but because they want to see if he does any tricks. Yeah. And there's a blind man at the back of the crowd because he's not allowed to be in the crowd mm-hmm. because his condition is considered made him unclean. And he starts hollering, you know, Jesus, son of David, mm. have mercy on me. So once again, like the dad, like yeah. the leper, he acknowledges, I believe you are Adonai, you are the Christ. And the crowd rebukes him. And that word there, and that's in, where is that? Verse 47. 40, yeah. And when he heard, this is Bartimaeus, he's one of the few people Jesus heals who's named. Mm-hmm. That's why I love yeah, that God names yeah. him, very personal healing. And when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And many, remember this is a religious crowd, they've gathered, formed a little parade for Jesus, and many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. The word there in the original Greek is epitomio. It means to command with the implication of a threat. Mm -hmm. We've all done it if you've got Mm. children on the way to church. So help me. When they're fussing (laughs) and you kind of turn around and go, if you keep fussing, Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you something to fuss about. So the crowd is not like, oh, the poor blind guy. The crowd is like, shut up, Bart. You keep crying. We're going to shut you up. And then he cries out all the more. That's so stunning to me because when people have shamed me, a lot of times I just back up. You know, I had a woman tell me that 
instead of adopting, I should go that I shouldn't adopt because I'd been abused as a little girl and I might unwittingly transfer some of the abuse I experienced onto a child of my own. And she said, instead of adopting, I think you should go to the Nashville Humane Society and adopt a dog because you're really good with pets. And I was 40 when she said that to me. It was a girl I knew from church. And do you know I was 47 before I started the adoption process again? Because I thought she's right. It just pressed Mm -hmm. on that shame bruise in me. I thought, I probably wouldn't be a good mom. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he cries out all the more, he's more interested in Jesus than he is in the approval of the Mm -hmm. people around him. That just slays Mm -hmm. me because I wasn't that faithful. And then Jesus stops. That's like one of my favorite verses in Mark. Jesus stopped. And then (laughs) Jesus stopped. Verse 49, he's headed to the cross. He's headed toward Easter. Effectively, this might be just a tad of liberty, but I think it's safe to say he put Easter on pause for this one guy. Nobody else will give him the time of day. Mm -hmm. He's considered unclean. He's at the back of the crowd. They've tried to shut him up. Mm -hmm. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Mm-hmm. And so when he he's just so present so with the people, kind. like he's so kind, and he's a he heals. He's a shepherd, and he's a compassionate shepherd. We're never an interruption to him. Yeah, bring him. Yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. And then he says, "What do you need, man?" There's a lesson in that that we yeah. would actually trust Jesus enough to go. Here's what I need, and he tells him. Jesus heals him, but I don't think his physical healing is the biggest miracle in that passage. Yeah. I think the biggest miracle is his posture because he's gone from sitting on the curb, effectively checked out of life. He encounters Jesus, and it says he followed Jesus mm-hmm. along the way. Yeah. And, you know, we all know, or most of us do, that early Christians weren't called Christians. They were called followers of the way. Mm-hmm. You can count Bartimaeus among that small group of people who are actually at Golgotha yeah. during Easter week. And then he goes on to become a player in the early church. So he goes from not just being sick, being marginalized, yeah. being completely checked out, to being healed more emotionally even, I would say, than physically. Yeah. But it was that Jesus took the time for him. He's he's not just compassionate. He is accessible. He's not yeah. a faraway God. Yeah, and he's not bound by time mm-hmm. in the way that we think of it and the way that we are. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, in week one, we read the story of Jairus' daughter. And so Jesus yeah. is on his way, yeah. you know, to heal Jairus' daughter. And then, and then the, the woman, woman with the issue, with of, the blood. issue yeah. of blood stops, you know, yeah. touches the hem of his garment yeah. and he stops and he, and he listens to her. And whole he heals. Story. That's right. He, yeah. he could have just right. healed her and said, ma'am, you're fine. Like, I got to go. On the way to like a really important gated <laughs> right. community with a, you know, a guy who's really Pretty serious situation. So right. a really yeah. important right. man right. Mm-hmm. needs me. Right. But he stopped for this as society would see her. Unimportant right. woman. Right. And is there long enough that they have to come get him? Hey, right. You know what? Just never mind. Well, like, she's, she's been bleeding for 12 years. Dies. Yeah. And, you know, Luke leaves out this part, but Mark tells us she's lost all she had at the hand of many doctors. So a little bit oh, of practice there. That description of her, oh, she'd just, spent all she'd oh, spent she all had, of her money and she's it had, had no improvement. And nobody's listening condition. to her because bleeding, yeah. she's also ostracized, almost like yeah. a leper. Mm-hmm. And you stop and think how many stories she has stored up from 12 years mm-hmm. of being missed and marginalized. I mean, I can just totally hear her going, and then Jesus, that was this one doctor. You know, she's just going on and on and on. Mm-hmm. She's already healed, mm-hmm. but Jesus knew she needed to be heard, which mm-hmm. just slays me because mm-hmm. I'm such a windbag and I can be so, such an irritant. The idea that Jesus never rolls his eyes at me or never says, Can you, Lisa, can you give me the Reader's Digest version? <laughs> you yeah. know, the fact that he would sit down and listen to my whole story because mm-hmm. he loves me, that just slays me. Yeah. It's interesting to me that this story of Bartimaeus comes just as the next breath mm-hmm. after, you know, the disciples arguing over right. 
They're going, yes. Jesus, will you promise to give us anything we <laughs> asked right. for? That's and right. he's like, what do you want? Yeah, that's right. And they're saying, allow you take us a to picture your right with hand me for and, Instagram, Jesus. Yeah, like, uh-huh. can you put us on your right and left hand in right. glory? Like, that is their greatest concern. Right. They're arguing about it almost all the time. Yeah. And we have a lot of, I mean, we talked last week about, like, the compassion we have for these disciples who, you know, I've been a disciple of Jesus for three decades. For them, it was three years. They, mm-hmm. they It's okay that they had a Absolutely. lot to learn. Absolutely. Um, and he had compassion on them as well. But for their concern to be like, but like you're right in left hand in glory. Right. Would that be okay if we just like, if you could you put a little reservation card <laughs> right. on like little name right. plates there? Right. And then for Jesus to be, he's walking toward his death yeah. while they're having that right. conversation. Yeah. He's going, you don't understand. You can't drink right. the cup I'm about Mm-mm. to drink. Mm-mm. And then he meets Bartimaeus. Yeah. I think that so underscores what I feel like I'm learning more in this latter half. Y'all are so ahead of me, even though you get to wear pants with zippers still. That proclamation is just it's just noise without modeling. Yeah. Mm. And so they still don't get it. And instead of castigating him over and over again, mm. you know, I would have been like, okay, y'all are fired. I'm gonna hire a whole new, <laughs> yeah. you know, brighter, more faithful group of disciples. He just models over and over again. Here's what it looks like to love. Mm. Here's what it looks like to lay your yeah. life down. Here's what it looks like to love. You know, I want Missy to say, Let me tell you what my mama did, mm-hmm. not let me tell you what my mama said. Yeah. 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 And the call is to be concerned about the things of of the kingdom mm-hmm. of God and to walk with Jesus and to look to Jesus and to look where Jesus looks. Mm-hmm. I see the, this theme all through Mark, but as we wrap, I'm thinking about Mark chapter eight. This is right after Peter confesses the Messiah, which knowing that Peter is potentially the narrator mm-hmm. <laughs> providing the dictation, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you wouldn't be sure to include right. that. because right. <laughs> right. But it's where, you know, Jesus goes out and, and he asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they answer him, well, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say you're one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. And then we have, this is, Chapter 8, verse 31, when one of the many instances where Jesus is just telling them, this is what is going to happen, and they don't, right. it's like they don't hear it or understand it. And he right. just gets more and more, pl- it seems to me that he gets more and more plain every time mm-hmm. he says it. But this is in verse 31, then Jesus began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but about human concerns. And then we go right to the next verse is calling the crowd then, along with the disciples. He said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Forever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. That is our concern. Right. That is what we are right. to be concerned with. And I see that so many times in Mark where we see Jesus not do the obvious thing, like mm-hmm. hurry along to the, right. the home of right. the really Gyrus important or, person, right. Right. but to do, quote, less important, mm-hmm. quote, thing, which is turn and look at and right. in the face of right. this woman who has been marginalized and who's suffered right. for years and years. And we just see him doing this, you know, this cosmic greatest thing that's ever been done, right? He's coming to save the world. But in doing that, doing all of the, having all of these interactions, face-to-face interactions, so many of them with women, Mm -hmm. so many of Mm -hmm. them with women Mm -hmm. and with other marginalized people. Oh yeah. First century culture, no religious leader would condescend to have a conversation much less to be that kind of visceral compassion with a woman. It's stunning. I mean, is it fair to say, Lisa, that if someone in Jesus' time, if you are sick, like have a chronic mm-hmm. illness, or you are a woman, or you have, it seems to me that all of the healings, mm-hmm. 
are, if you need to be healed, then you are marginalized. Oh, If absolutely. you're sick, then you're marginalized. Well, remember his disciples himself in John's gospel said they were talking about a blind man, not Bartimaeus, a different blind man. Yeah. But they said, who sinned? This blind man or his parents, because Jewish culture taught that That's if right. you had an ongoing illness, there was unconfessed sin in your life. Yeah. And so anybody who's sick, most of them were ceremonially ostracized, but they're also stigmatized socially because yeah. it's like, oh, well, you're a loser because mm. you're sick. And yeah. so, yeah, he, but I think what he's showing over and over and over again is people matter to God. That's right. And I, I'm going to start at the lowest part of the totem pole with y'all society yes. because he even then is modeling Imago Day. Yeah. It doesn't matter right. what letters are behind your name. doesn't matter how many yeah. likes you have on social media. Everybody was made That's in right. my image and everybody matters and everybody has inherent dignity. And so I think what you just read, what I love about what you just read is the kindness of Jesus Christ. Uh-huh. If we have experienced some measure of that, it should lead us to expressing compassion on the people we get to rub shoulders with. And he says that over and over again. He's like, y'all, if you really love me, you'll love the people I've wired you to be in relationship with. So it's a very community-oriented gospel. You see the accessibility of Jesus, and then you see him going to people that we would snub. We would oftentimes... You know, proclaim, I'm a believer, I've got a fish sticker on my bumper. Yeah. And yet we tend to ignore the marginalized and those who are who are most needy of affection and kindness and sometimes just somebody to come along beside them and put their arm around them. Yeah. Afraid to be affiliated with or Mm -hmm. associated with. Yeah. Yeah. I just have this image of these places where Jesus walked, you know, as he was walking throughout his ministry and that there being all of the people who were in the corners and in the dark and on the edges. But Jesus comes in and starts healing and then they all come out of the woodwork. They're all just flocking to him and he doesn't, he doesn't push them away. He welcomes them in Mm -hmm. and acknowledges them and dignifies them and heals them. You know that. This is probably a terrible analogy, but I've I had a love lot of coffee. terrible analogies. I have, you know, <laughs> I'm single, never even married. I always tease and I say my husband is lost and won't stop to ask for directions. Truth of the matter is I was just a nutter in my 20s and 30s relationally. But I've been on a lot of blind dates. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat across the table from a gentleman and we're engaged in conversation, and I don't know what happens behind me, but now I can tell you it's probably a really beautiful woman who just walked in the restaurant because his glance will avert from looking at me to, and I see his eyes widen, and I'm like, oh, some hottie just walked in because he was looking at me, and now his attention is just totally stolen, and it's, I'm sure, by somebody younger, prettier, you know, doesn't wear spanks. And that feeling, I think, is what we're used to. I think yeah. most people can resonate, maybe not in the romantic context, but can resonate with, I've been missed. Mm-hmm. You know, people haven't stopped to take the time to really get my heart. What Mark shows us over and over and over and over again is we are the object of his affection. He's mm-hmm. never going to look past you mm-hmm. because he thinks somebody else is better or more important yeah. or more advantageous for him to have a relationship with. He is going to gaze into your eyes even if nobody else has ever seen you. Hmm. And Mark shows us the difference between being noticed and being seen. Yeah, mm. And he, he sees people that I think are yeah. invisible to almost everybody yeah. else. And yeah. that doesn't just mean the mist and the marginalized. I think some people who drive the nicest cars and oh, yeah. have the biggest offices are like, oh my goodness, if anybody really knew what was going on inside me, I tend to think of the poor and powerless. But there are people who are poor and powerless who live in gated communities and have corner offices, but feel like nobody's ever really seen my heart. That's Mm -hmm. real. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you experience that kind of freedom, then it gives us the freedom to be the person who can hold a gaze. That's right. You know, and to be Jesus to another and to not, because it's our own, like, you know, we were talking about children not making eye contact when they're being disrespectful. (laughs) Like, that if you, when you aren't, burdened by that shame, you can look someone else in the eye and you don't have to look away. There's as much vulnerability in doing, in holding that gaze as there is in like being seen. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the gospel. 
Yeah, yeah, and we're gonna just keep going next yeah. week. You just reminded me, Song of Solomon, week. you know, four nine. Oh, with one glance of yeah. your eyes, you captured my heart. Yeah, if we could learn to linger and believe Ugh. that He's looking at us with, because He did with every single one of those healings, all those encounters, He looked at them with this expression of compassion yeah. Yeah. and absolute yeah. love. Yeah. I want to be able to linger. I want to be able to meet His gaze because mm-hmm. I look down too quick. But I want to be able to linger, you know, first with God and then with the people mm-hmm. he, he allows me to be in relationship Sometimes with. Sometimes we want to jump to, okay, I want to do that. I want to look. I want to see people the way Jesus saw people. Mm-hmm. But I think sometimes because that's a more comfortable application right. than right. I want to let Jesus see me. Yeah. I want to ask him oh, that's to see good. me. That's really good, Rachel. Well, yeah. that's how we learn, I think, to mm-hmm. do the other. Yeah. I you think know, to do the second part of yeah. that. Okay. We have spent a delightful hour opening the book of Mark and talking about the beauty, goodness, and truth that we have found there. And Lisa, you know our tradition is to then ask our guests, where are you seeing beauty, goodness, or truth in your life right now? Um, Yeah, right now I'm seeing it in, we were trapped last week because Nashville doesn't deal well with snow and ice and we live up on this hill in the middle of nowhere and we could not, literally couldn't get down our driveway for nine days because of the ice and snow, and I'm seeing him in stillness. You know, there were just moments where I was forced to just sit by the fire with Missy and play trouble. Mm -hmm. And I thought sometimes (laughs) I miss the miracles because I'm looking for exciting miracles instead of the miracle in just... I think sometimes I would see it as mundane. Yeah. And that miraculous learning, learning to sit still is where I'm also learning to lean into his embrace and not wriggle out so quick. I'm a tend to be a doer and kind of a helper and I'm learning to linger. So I would say I'm I'm seeing beauty in my own lack of busyness. That is beautiful. That's good. That we, learning to linger, I'm going to hang on to that for a little bit. We yeah. are wrapping. So y'all, as you, if you're listening to this on the day it's released, you are stepping into the second to last week of our Lent series. I can't believe we're already here. Mm. Um, next week is Holy Week. And so uh, this coming Sunday for y'all is Palm Sunday. And uh, Monday we'll release an episode, a uh, conversation with my pastor. Uh, we've oh, asked, that's you know, wonderful. So we've asked Scott Sauls to come and oh, chat with God. us about Holy Week. And we are looking forward to that conversation as well. Wow. But until next week, Lisa, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.